This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. As always, I am Dustin Smith, and I will be your host today. This is episode 187, entitled God and Jesus in the Book of Hebrews. Yes, we are going to be doing a series on the book of Hebrews and the various characters in the book of Hebrews, particularly God and Jesus, and how those two interact with one another. I've had a lot of requests for this particular book, the book of Hebrews, and these requests have been asking for my thoughts on various passages within Hebrews. So this week, we will look at the main actors and heroes within the book of Hebrews, namely God and Jesus. So in the outset of this ongoing series on the book of Hebrews, let me just get out of the way from the beginning my views on the contextual issues about the book so that you can understand where I'm coming from and why I'm making the decisions that I'm making. So the book of Hebrews is most likely written to a community that is within Rome, within Italy. It is almost certainly written by someone who is not Paul. I don't think the book of Hebrews is written by Paul, and in fact, I can't find any modern published scholar or scholarly commentary that argues that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. That's an old view that is out of fashion these days. However, it is written by someone who is familiar with the audience. He's not writing as someone who is unaware of who these people are, and what their situation is, he seems to be aware of the church's personality and their social situations. I do think that the believers that are reading the book of Hebrews are a community that is primarily Gentile. They are Gentile believers. Now, there are probably some Jewish Christians that are within this community, as we could see in the letter to the Romans, which is probably written about 15 years prior to the book of Hebrews, but the community is primarily Gentile. They are described as those who had to turn to God, repenting and turning to God, and that's not the kind of thing that you would say of a primarily Jewish group of recipients. The book of Hebrews is written by a male, but we don't know who this person is. There is a masculine participle in chapter 13 that indicates that the writer is a male. He is a man. The book of Hebrews is probably written around the year 70, 70 AD, which is the year when the Jerusalem temple was destroyed by the forces of Titus, the Roman army, and Titus's legion. And we don't know if the book of Hebrews is written a little bit before 70 or a little bit after The evidence is inconclusive, and there is some evidence that could be pointed in either direction. However, whether the book of Hebrews is written a few years before 70 or a few years after 70 doesn't have an effect on the interpretation of any of the passages. It is clear that it is written to a second-generation Christian community based on some of the comments in Hebrews chapter 2. Now, the book of Hebrews loves to cite the Old Testament. But the author is going to cite the Old Testament 
every single time from the Septuagint, from the LXX, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. 100% of the quotations in the book of Hebrews come from the Septuagint, from the Greek version. The author probably didn't know any Hebrew, and he certainly didn't have access to the Hebrew Bible. He had access to the Septuagint. So that's going to be important when it comes to interpreting some of these confusing passages. So what does the author of the book of Hebrews think about God? Are God and Jesus collapsed into a single being? And is Jesus presented as a figure who is co-equal to the Father within the book of Hebrews? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the person and roles of God within the book of Hebrews. This is a pretty easy study to do. It's not something super difficult or complicated. You just look up and record every single thing that God does in the book of Hebrews. So it's going to seem like a list, but it's important to draw this list out and then to compare it and contrast it with the list of roles and descriptions of Jesus within the book of Hebrews. So God is the one that spoke to the ancestors, spoke to the fathers, and he did this through the prophets in many portions and in many ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us, that is to the author and to the recipients, in his son. And you can see that in the opening two verses of Hebrews. God formally spoke to the prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us in a son. The implication there is that God did not begin speaking through his son until these last days. God is described in the book of Hebrews as the creator, and there are a variety of passages that make this particular point. We can see in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 that God made the world. In chapter 3, verse 4, God is described as the maker of all things. In chapter 11, verse 10, the author describes a city which has foundations and whose architect and builder is God. So God, the true God, the Father, is described as the creator, and that is taken for granted in a variety of passages. Specifically, God is described as the Father. There's a citation from 2 Samuel 7, verse 14 in Hebrews 1, 5, in reference to God, and the citation says that I will be a father to him. So God is described with the singular pronoun I, and God is described as a father to Jesus. Furthermore, in regard to God's role in creation, God is the one who rested, or better translated as ceased or stopped, on the seventh day. We can see this in chapter 4, verse 4, and it's repeated again in chapter 4, verse 10. God ceased working on the seventh day. Now, the book of Hebrews has a lot to say about the high priest, but God is the one who designates and sets apart the high priest. Specifically, God has designated Jesus as the high priest. It says in chapter 5 and verse 10, 
about Jesus, that he is being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. That's chapter 5, verse 10. Now, the reader of the book of Hebrews is presumed to be a believer, a Christian, and their faith is directed towards God. Chapter 6, verse 1. So faith is directed towards God. Those in the church have plans and desires and various modes of activity, and God is the one who allows and permits this activity of those that are within the church in chapter 6, verse 3. God is also the one that sends blessings, specifically the rain that brings forth vegetation. We can see that in chapter 6, verse 7. There are some places to where God is unambiguously described as a single person. So take, for example, this passage in chapter 6, verse 13, which says, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Chapter 6, verse 13, where God is described with this reflexive pronoun, himself. That is a single self, that is one person. There's another place where God is described as a single person in chapter 11 and verse 6, which says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Using the third person singular of the verb to be. That's chapter 11 at verse 6. So God is described as a single person, as one undivided being in a variety of places within the book of Hebrews through singular personal pronouns, singular verbs, and independent pronouns. And we've talked about Jesus being the high priest that God designated, but in chapter 7 of verse 1, God is the one that has various high priests that are dedicated to him. It makes sense that God is distinguished from the high priest. The high priest is someone that plays a mediating role between the people and God. So God has to be a separate third party from the high priest and the people. Now God prepared the world and made the world through the agency of his word. We can see that in chapter 11 and verse 3. And this draws upon the creation of the world in passages like Genesis chapter 1 and Psalm 33 where God speaks creation into existence with his creative and powerful word. God is the object of sacrifices that are being offered. In chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. So, sacrifices are offered to God. God is the object of sacrifices that are being made. God is the one that raises people from the dead. In chapter 11, verse 19. As the one who raises people from the dead, that overlaps with God's role as the cosmic judge. Over whom is God the judge? Well, chapter 12 and verse 23 says that God is the judge of all persons. Chapter 12, verse 23. A little bit later, in chapter 13 and verse 4, it says that fornicators and adulterers God will 
judge, further indicating that God has the role of judgment and that is attributed to him. And we've talked about regular sacrifices, that is, burnt offerings, but God is also the object of cultic service, being translated from the Greek verb latrevo, which is used for cultic service. In chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. And it's that word service, offering to God acceptable service from the Greek verb latrevo. And God is the object of this type of service. Unpacking this a little bit more, we can see that sacrifices of praise are offered to God. In chapter 13, verse 15, it says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And in the next verse, it says, we are to not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So sacrifices there are described as sharing and doing good, and of course, offering praise. But God is the object of these redefined sacrifices. Those are the primary things that are used to describe God, his person, and his various roles within the book of Hebrews. And we can take that list and we can compare it and contrast it to a similar list describing the various descriptors involving Jesus. And we'll look at that list right now in point number two. Point number two is the person and roles of Jesus within the book of Hebrews. Now, the opening thing that we need to make clear, and we're going to have an entire episode dedicated to this particular point, is that Jesus is described in terms of God's wisdom. The Jewish practice of speculating on God creating the world through the agency of his personified wisdom, God's wise interaction with creation. The author of Hebrews seems to adopt this understanding, influx it with his own Christology, and the author of Hebrews expects his readers to pick up these wisdom connections. So in the opening four verses, Jesus is described in terms of God's wisdom on four different occasions. Chapter 1, verse 2, Jesus is described as the one through whom God made the world. And of course, it is personified wisdom, which is the agent through which God created the world. So Jesus is being described as God's wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 3, there is a very rare word that's used in Greek, the noun apavgasma, which doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament, but it does appear in a personified wisdom passage in the Septuagint book, Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7. And it's that description of personified wisdom from Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7, that is quoted here of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 3, where it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Now, this noun, Apavgasma, we'll spend some more time talking about this in next week's episode, 
It could be understood in the active sense or it could be understood in the passive sense. And an argument, I think, is very strong in favor of the passive sense because there's some parallelism in chapter 1, verse 3 that seems to suggest a passive meaning. But the active meaning of this Greek noun, apavgosma, would be radiance, in that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. But the passive meaning involves reflection, meaning that chapter 1, verse 3 would be translated in that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory. But these are descriptions that were used of God's personified wisdom formally, and now they're being used of Jesus, because the author understands Jesus to be the embodiment of God's wisdom, the climax of God's wisdom. So things that were said about God's wisdom can now be said of Jesus. Also in chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. Or could be translated that he holds all things together by the word of his power. And this phrase was formerly said of personified wisdom. Now it's being said of Jesus. And lastly, we can see that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. This, of course, is a major theme throughout the book of Hebrews. But yet again, Lady Wisdom, God's personified wisdom, is also portrayed as the one that sits at God's right hand. So in the opening four verses, we have four different descriptions of Jesus. He is the one through whom God made the world. He is the radiance or the reflection of God's glory. He's the one that upholds things with the word of his power and the one sitting at God's right hand. All four of these things were formerly said about Lady Wisdom well before the book of Hebrews was even written. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in next week's episode. Moving on, in regard to Jesus, Jesus is the object of worship. Chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, When he again brings the firstborn into the world, I think this is in reference to the second coming, when he again brings the firstborn to the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. So Jesus is the object of worship. He is worthy of worship. Specifically, Jesus is the Son of the Father. We mentioned that Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5 cites 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, to where God is described as a father, but the remainder of the passage says that he, namely Jesus, shall be a son to me, to the father. So God will be Jesus' father, and Jesus will be the son to the father. So it's not just that we have the father and the son. The father is the father of the son, and the son is the son of of the Father. They aren't just arbitrary roles given to separate persons. They have a relationship to one another. Granted, the primary meaning of son in the book of Hebrews is the honorary title given to the anointed king, to the Messiah, to the king of God's kingdom. But it demonstrates a relationship between God and Jesus. Now we're going to have to come back and talk about some of these passages because they're controversial within biblical Unitarian circles, but I need to get them out of the way here, at least initially, to make our list look complete. So in Hebrews 1 verse 8, there is a citation from Psalm 45 to where Jesus is called God. 
but he's called God in the manner that the Davidic king was called God in Psalm 45. So God shares the title God, Theos, with Jesus. That's a common thing for God to do, to share his title, his privileges, and his prerogatives with appointed agents, with authorized individuals. And the way that this was used with the Davidic king back in Psalm 45 is now being used to describe Jesus in chapter 1, verse 8. And that's not even the most controversial point. In chapter 1, verse 10, we have a citation from Psalm 102. And in Hebrews 1.10, Jesus is described in some sense as one who laid the foundations of the earth. And we need to take some time to unpack this passage further, and it's going to take an entire podcast episode dedicated to this passage in order to do it, because there are a lot of complications, there are a lot of details, there are a lot of factors, there are a lot of things involving translation that we need to talk about, and it needs to be read in light of the Christology that was already introduced earlier, namely Wisdom Christology. But we have to say that in some sense Jesus is described as one who laid the foundations of the earth in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, which is a citation from Psalm 102. This just begs for more unpacking, and we will do that in a later episode. But it's easier to focus on the clear passages, and so I want to make sure that we give attention to those. But I want to acknowledge that there are some difficult passages here. That is true, and we shouldn't shy away from those. In chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus is ranked lower than the angels, at least initially, in his human ministry. That's in chapter 2, verse 7. Now, while Moses was faithful in his role, Christ was faithful as a son. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. The implication is that Jesus, of course, is the Son of God, and he was faithful to someone else. Namely, he was faithful to God. Jesus had a faithful, loyal, obedient relationship to God. In chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus entered his rest in a similar way that God had entered into rest when God ceased from creation. So Jesus likened unto another person who entered into rest, but they're clearly distinguished. In chapter 4 and verse 14, Jesus is described as the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, and this high priest is described as the Son of God. So we can see the relationship between God and Jesus. Not only is Jesus a son, but he is the son of God. He is that anointed king, the Israelite king, the Messianic king. Now in the description of Jesus as the high priest, the passage starts out in chapter 5, verse 1, that every high priest is taken from among men. And then it goes to describe Jesus as a high priest, meaning Jesus is a member of the human race, just like every other high priest. It's a very interesting admonition by the author of the book of Hebrews. Now, as a son, Jesus is someone who not only demonstrated his faithfulness, but also someone who was obedient. 
In chapter 5 and verse 8, Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. So we can see that Jesus was someone who obeyed God, and he was also someone who indeed suffered. Jesus, as the one that suffered, also died. He legitimately died. He was crucified, according to chapter 6 and verse 6. And Jesus was crucified as the Son of God. The author of Hebrews does not try to suggest that Jesus possesses two natures or some sort of dual nature Christology to where the Son of God is perhaps divine, but the humanity part is what really died. No, for the book of Hebrews, Jesus is completely the Son of God, and the Son of God was the one that was crucified. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. Now, as the high priest, Jesus is over the household of God. We can see in chapter 10, verse 21, where it says that we have a great high priest over the household of God. So even though Jesus was ranked lower than the angels, he is now exalted to someone who is over the entirety of God's household. And lastly, Jesus is described as the shepherd of the sheep. We can see that in chapter 13, verse 20. So there are a lot of things that are said about Jesus and a lot of things that are said about God, but those two lists don't seem to overlap. They seem to be describing two distinct individuals. Jesus is not described as doing things that God does. And so if we have a list of God and a list of things that Jesus is doing, I think it's important for us to look and to see, okay, in what ways do God and Jesus interact? And how do they function in relation to one another? And that will bring us to our third and final point, which is the relationship between God and Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 2, we see that God has appointed Jesus as the heir of all things. Jesus is the heir. He's the one that inherits all things. But God is the one that gives these things to Jesus. Of course, we talked about wisdom Christology. God is the creator, but he creates through Jesus, in terms of wisdom, God created the world. So God is the creator, but God created through Jesus in some sense. We need to take some time to talk about that. We talked about how Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Of course, that could passively be the reflection of God's glory. But God there is the source. And it's not even God specifically, it's God's glory that Jesus is radiating or reflecting. And with Psalm 110 being a dominant passage within the book of Hebrews, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. Or as chapter 1 verse 3 says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now to make clear that sitting at the right hand of God is not specifically sitting on the throne, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, making that distinction. Now, even though Jesus is given the title God by God in the sense that the Davidic kings were given the title, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9 makes absolutely clear that Jesus has a God. He has a God above him. 
which is the Father. So, regardless of the way that Jesus described with this exalted title, the text makes clear that Jesus has someone who is ranked above him. In regard to the various ways that Jesus is exalted and given these powerful authoritative titles, we could see a citation from Psalm 8 in Hebrews 2 verse 7, which says that you, God, have crowned him, Jesus, with glory and honor, and you have appointed him, you, the Father, have appointed Jesus over the works of your hands. So God has given to Jesus God's glory. God has given to Jesus God's honor. And God has appointed him over the works of his hands. So Jesus is highly empowered, highly invested with God's glory, God's honor, and God's authority over the various things that God has created. That's in chapter 2, verse 7. In chapter 2 and verse 10, it's a little bit difficult to get straight the pronouns, but it's pretty clear that it is God perfecting Jesus. In chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For it was fitting for him, God, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Well, who is the one who suffered? That's Jesus. So Jesus is the author of their salvation through sufferings. But God perfected Jesus, meaning originally Jesus wasn't perfect. God had to perfect Jesus. We talked about how God rested or ceased from work on the seventh day, and there is a relationship between the way that Jesus has entered rest in chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, For the one who has entered his rest, that's Jesus, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. So Jesus rested, God also rested, but the two are distinguished. We've talked about how Jesus is the high priest. He is the high priest to God, but Jesus was made a high priest by God. And so in chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So God designated Jesus as the high priest. Jesus functions continually in an agent role in regard to God. So like in chapter 7, verse 25, people draw near to God through Jesus. Chapter 7, verse 25. Christ is now in the presence of God in heaven making sure to distinguish both of those persons. In chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So Jesus is now in the presence of God. Believers offer praise to God through Jesus. Chapter 13, verse 15 and God, who is the God of peace, raised Jesus from the dead. Chapter 13, verse 20. And we can find over 20 passages that distinguish God 
and Jesus. That is very clear. It's very easy to see. It is non-controversial, and it should just be taken for granted that God and Jesus are separate beings, according to the author of the book of Hebrews. God and Jesus are not collapsed into a single being. So in conclusion, we have observed that the God of Israel is the primary actor in the narrative of the book of Hebrews. God is the Father. God is a single person, and he is the creator and judge of all things. Now, the role of God as Father is really not a controversial subject in the book of Hebrews. The controversy surrounds Jesus. The second thing that we have observed is that Jesus is the Son of God. In Hebrews, Jesus is described as the high priest, which is a distinctive feature of the book of Hebrews. Of noteworthy importance, Jesus is described in terms of God's personified wisdom, demonstrating a wisdom Christology that is both taught by the author and presumed as common knowledge by the recipients. Jesus is one who learned obedience from God. Jesus was made perfect by God. And now Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. There are some disputed issues regarding Jesus within the book of Hebrews, and we need to be honest about those. There are questions about pre-existence, Jesus' role as the wisdom of God. There are questions about Jesus being called God in chapter 1, verse 8. There are questions regarding the precise role in Jesus laying the foundation in chapter 1, verse 10. The relationship of Jesus to Melchizedek is something that also needs some discussion. And there is a passage that talks about a body prepared for Jesus. Is this a reference to bodily incarnation? So there are some disputed issues about Jesus. We'll have to return to those in future episodes. Our third and final conclusion is that God and Jesus are clearly distinguished more than 20 times in the book of Hebrews. And in seeing these, it is clear that Jesus functions as an agent through whom God interacts with his world. God exalted Jesus, God raised Jesus, and God perfected Jesus. Jesus is the Son of the Father. And the distinction between God and Jesus is clearly observed and should not be considered controversial. Well, that's all we have today, folks. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we look into the depictions of Jesus in terms of God's wisdom, and we try to make sense of what the author is saying and why Biblical Unitarians should start to read the opening four verses in terms of wisdom Christology. Please look forward to our next episode you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us. You can offer a tip or donation at the PayPal link that is associated with this episode. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. Its host is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.